Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. Paul Jacob has been writing commentary at thisiscommonsense.org since 1999. In this podcast, which we call This Week in Common Sense, Paul covers the big stories of the week that have appeared at thisiscommonsense.org, you know, and some other stories too, sometimes. This week, Paul's on the road, so there are going to be some technical difficulties, which we apologize for, but they're not horrible, and we have a compensation. This episode is shorter. You wanted to talk about the Ultimate Legislature, which was a Tuesday piece, if I remember right. Yes. We have done a number of pieces on Assembly Bill 5 in California. Uh, It passed last year. It basically takes freelancers, uh, gig workers, people, you know, driving for Uber or Lyft, um, and and takes these independent contractors and says they have to be paid all kinds of employee benefits and be treated like employees. Too bad that, you know, every freelancer couldn't take them to court and, and knock out AB5 for them. But basically Uber and Lyft and some of the other, uh, uh, you know, app companies, app-based companies that were making some real money because people were going, oh, this is great. Uh, and so, you know, hey, we want to stop that. Anytime people are going, wow, what a great service. Um, so, you know, and of course, I've also taken, uh, I think I've done Lyft before, but I've done a lot of Ubers. I'm very proud of my 5.0 Uber rating uh, as a passenger. And I ask Uber drivers, hey, yeah, what do you, how do you like the work and how does this work for you? And, you know, it works great for them because a lot of them are doing other things and they this helps them to do something part-time that's makes them some good money and and helps them go to school or whatever they're doing as if they would decide their own life like that but ab5 of course by throwing all kinds of different mandates on this makes it very difficult to employ independent contractors and a lot of people because I work with a number of people who are independent contractors and freelancers and they they like being free they like the free part of freelancer and of course companies like having smart people who are good at, at, at a you know particular skill and that they can get to to go do it and and usually at a price that's a little easier than putting somebody on the on the payroll. Anyway, the people of California, after Uber and Lyft and others uh, put up the money, signatures were gotten, uh, about a million people in California signed the petition, put it on the ballot, 59% to 41%. uh, You know, SEIU, the other unions that were opposed to it, that looked at AB5 as a way that they can go after a much bigger audience. Uh, You know, they didn't like it. They uh, didn't convince anybody at the ballot box, but they did then go to court. And a judge basically looked at the situation in California. And a lot of what he said, if you read his opinion, he was correct about certain parts of the initiative and having some appreciation for the fact that, you know, it is part of the Constitution that people do have this power. The people are, and this is where he didn't quite get to, but the people are, as the title of this piece on Tuesday, 
the ultimate legislature. The legislature that sits, that we elect, they are not the ultimate legislature. We are. They only have power because we have power. The whole idea of representative government is not to stiff arm the voters and get them out of government and basically say, you stand over there and elect us. That's the way politicians see it, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. They're actually supposed to be representing us and nothing's more representative of the people than the people voting directly. And not on somebody, you know, who has the nicer family or the better haircut or, or talks, you know, better. But in, in essence, issues in black and white that can't be changed after they're passed, like a lot of politicians change after they get elected. And, and so you have to respect that process. But in California... Uh, in most states, if you have both the, the statutory and the constitutional process, you're going to go constitutional an awful lot of times because whether you would prefer it in a perfect world to be in the Constitution or as a statute, if it's a statute, the legislature can rip it up as soon as you pass it. And they've done it before. Things have passed overwhelmingly and the legislature's gutting them in the, in the very next ses- session. And so you want to put it in the Constitution. And some people will, you know, stipulate, oh, well, that really doesn't belong in the Constitution. I think anything that people want to put in the Constitution, because that's the only place it's protected. And by protected, I mean, you have to go back to the people. The legislatures can touch it. They can, they can throw it at the people. They sometimes do that with term limits. Here, vote on it again. Vote on it again. Um, but they can't change it without a vote of the people and that protects it. And, and it means that the people decide. So that's, that's why you want to put things in the constitution in California, a statute can't be altered unless the initiative that is passed statutorily has a provision for it to be altered. And in this AB5 measure, Prop 22 is, was the proposition in, in uh, 2020. In that AB5 uh, carve-out that basically said, you know, the gig workers at, at Lyft, at, I think DoorDash is one of them, uh, Uber, but there's others. Uh, there's a number of, of these businesses. And there's other businesses, the petition business, for instance, when you're doing initiatives or candidate work is independent contractors. I thought the judge was ruled against the the people in this case and said that it was a, a two-issue thing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the judge did rule against the people. And I think he'll be reversed, but I, he may not be. You don't know what the, what the state courts are going to do. But the judge basically said that they've made the measure where the legislature is unable to change it and unable to do certain things that the legislature has been given the power to do. But of course, this change does allow the legislature in some cases, there's one where seven eighths of the legislature, it's a high percentage, but of course they don't have to give them any percentage. They don't have to allow them to change it in any way. 
but they did allow certain changes. Well, they can choose whatever percentage they want. That's it's the people deciding what the law is going to be and what the percentage is going to be. And there's nothing inherent in it that somehow is unfair to the legislature because the ultimate legislature, the people, have established it. So in this measure, to say that somehow the legislature can't change it and the legislature has that power, well, the legislature did change it. That's what the people are acting as when they vote on this measure. And the fact that the legislature has to then put it on the ballot and allow the people to say yes or no for any change they want to make is exactly how it should be. And, and in essence, of course it allows that change. It just doesn't allow the legislature, like every other statute passed by the people in California, doesn't allow the legislature to monkey around with it. And in most states, legislatures are able to do it or uh, you know to, to overrule an initiative to change any statutory law even if the people have passed it does california's go too far well i'll tell you what uh i think oftentimes the, the legislature is a den of iniquity and the people have passed something they want and the legislature is going to rip it up and they've done it on term limits in, in 1992 in Wyoming. Term limits passed with 77% of the vote. In January, they were in the legislature trying to tear it up, delay it from going into effect, make the, the limits much looser uh, for the politicians. And, you know, this is we see this all the time and they, they do it on on different uh, ethics reforms that get passed by initiative that the legislatures would legislature would never do it on itself then they you know the immediately they find you know 70 80 percent of the legislature willing to vote to change these things this is it's self-dealing and of course that's what the initiative is so important for is to stop the legislature from self-dealing because it gives the voters the ultimate veto. So what, what they've done in California is to make this kind of convoluted thing, this judge, where he sees the initiative has all this power, but it limited the legislature in this way. And, you know, you can read it and it, you know, it almost makes sense until you realize, in essence, he, this is the way that the legislature is always limited. And it's plenary power, um, you know, that's a, it's a nice little phrase, but it has plenary power to do all kinds of things unless the legislature limits itself, which is what the people are doing when they pass Prop 22. And this judge, I think, doesn't want to see that. It's, it's, it seems clear as day. He had another provision, which he says is not really part of the mission as he reads the mission of the initiative. And I think he just re misreads the, the mission. A lot of people who voted against the measure, they misread, they, they read the mission in a way different from me. And I think different from a lot of the people, I didn't get to vote on it, I don't live in California, but, but a, a lot different than the people who voted for it. The people who voted against it have a different conception. And for this judge to, in essence, say, no, that doesn't quite fit, so it's I'm throwing out this 59-41 vote, that's what these courts need to be very careful. If you, can, if you can show constitutionally 
where a 99% vote is not constitutional great. But these ridiculous kind of, you know, rabbit runs at, at some, you know, thin veneer of, well, it, it really limits the legislature in some way. All these things limit the legislature. It's, it's um, well, we'll see if it'll, if it'll change, because if it doesn't change, they're likely to come back with a constitutional amendment. And you'll be able to, you know, wreck a lot of services for a couple of years. But ultimately, I think it'll get passed again by, as a constitutional amendment. And the truth is, these things, I think, are better as statutes because they, you know, this one built in some ways that the legislature could adjust things. It seems to me that that's a much better process than to require, as some states do, that anything done by initiative is done as a constitutional amendment. And then they complain and bitch and moan that, oh, they're putting everything in the Constitution. Well, because, yes, because our legislature is dysfunctional and because the only avenue left to us is our Constitution, after all, it is ours, that somehow it's illegitimate for the voters to change it. And look, I don't agree with every change. I don't think you can look at, you know, how do we structure government? Let's structure it where I win every single time that never turns out to be a very good structure. And so it's, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, I love democracy is always right. Democracy is wrong a bunch. It just has the process built in to fix itself. And that's a, that's a huge plus. You know, we don't ask for everything in this life. So here, one of the key things is to recognize really in a specific concrete, real, political way, the people are the ultimate legislature. If the people don't trump the legislature, then the initiative is all pretend. It's a game. You either believe in citizen government or you believe in, in dictators. A bunch of them, a few of them, one of them, two of them. And that's the, the problem. If someone comes up with some other great form of government, please let me know. <laughs> Write in the comments at YouTube and, and you know, at the website, thisiscommonsense.org. But we in America have to recognize our own politicians, our own people in positions of power would like for power in their sphere, at least, to be all powerful, for them not to have to listen to these silly rabble. And I'm sorry, that's horrific. That form of government becomes horrific fast. And not because they're bad people. Oh, we've got all good people, ours will be fine. No, because they're people. I mean, it just seems like you see how human nature works. And I think if, if in America, we don't have it yet that the people are the ultimate legislature. I mean, that's, that's what this is all about. And, and what has it done? It has excited people all over the world. The things that, you know, Tom Paine is, is kind of the godfather, I guess, of our common sense, since, you know, he had the most popular common sense show ever. But 
you know, Tom Paine talked about America as an asylum, you know, for mankind. And because he knew people would want to come over here. And of course, they continue to want to come over here. And, and sometimes, you know, how, how bad is the U.S.? How, how bad have we done this or done that? And one way that I look at it to say, not that we haven't done all kinds that our government has uh, done all kinds of things bad. And probably we as individuals have screwed up a few times, too. But we have a society that people want to come to. And what they like about America is it's, it's not swagger. It's not that we beat our chest better than anybody else. It's real stuff like freedom and the ability to speak out. That's been denied here, there, and there, and oh, and remember that, and, and all these different things. But there's been some baseline of that's what it's that's what we're supposed to have. There's been so much more of it, of course, because of that. And in so many places around the world, there's none of it. You you crucify, you criticize the leader, and you will be crucified. And I'm not talking about uh, you know metaphorically or is that whatever. You you will actually be crucified. So this concept of the people being something that is not just a mob, but votes and decides things in a way where it's, you know, we have a process and we wouldn't allow that process to be screwed up. We don't, we don't want the, the title that's on the ballot to be written in some partisan, obnoxious way. And we don't want judges then to be looking at some silly way to differentiate between the people and the legislature as if the legislature comes first before the people. That piece mentioned unions. You've talked about unions in your discussion of this piece. Yes. One of the few pressure points for uh, the uh, legislature's attempt to ban the gig economy and so forth. Uh, You also dealt with unions one other time this week, right? Yes, and in California. To stay with AB5 for just a minute, I was also surprised and and wrote, if you go to thisiscommonsense.org, you'll see uh, the ultimate legislature. But I mentioned the kind of pro and con on where the money came from and who was for it. And the interesting thing to me, when it came to money, the unions came up with the money against Prop 22, which, of course, carved out and and, and made AB5 less onerous on everyone and on gig workers. The money for the petition drive, of course, and for the campaign on the pro side came from Uber, Uber and Lyft. And, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, that's where the money was. But if you look at the support in the, you know, pro con statements and so on, they list this out, you've got the, Black Chamber of Commerce in California, as well as the National Black Chamber of Commerce. You've got the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. You've got the Cal Asian Chamber of Commerce. You've got the State Chamber of Commerce. You've got the NAACP. You've got uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You've got all these people who either have a vested interest in this service and how it could have saved people's lives, like mothers against drunk driving, 
geez, it'd be nice to have Uber easy. I get a cab. I didn't have to get in the car. Honey, just call Uber. Don't get in the car. You had a lot of people who either gained from this service because it, you know, it helped people or gained because they saw the employment opportunities and the benefits and people getting ahead. And, and so that was interesting. And then on the, on the no side, we're all politicians. Kamala Harris, the vice president, then Senator, U.S. Senator from California, and other politicians up and down the, the uh, ladder. And I just thought that that was very interesting. The other one was unions must stop. And this is one where the Pacific Legal Foundation helped a number of uh, vineyards, I think, and, and other uh, agricultural uh, companies to stop unions from absolutely harassing them. And why were they harassing them? Because by law, by a law passed by that California legislature and signed by the governor, no doubt, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, they are able for like a third of the year to be at the company every day, getting in the way of people actually doing their job. You know, some companies you do have to kind of go and do, do actual work. And so they took it to court. The court ruled uh, in the summer that, that of course you don't have to, you know, this, this isn't right. Uh, and sent it back to, the lower court, the lower court has now said that that you have to pay something of a takings, like if you if you took somebody's property to, you know, for public use or pretended it was for public use when it was really to flip to some other private interest, that would be that sort of compensation for eminent domain and so on. And the the lower court is suggesting that's what you would do here seems to me here you would say you just don't have that access you can stand on public property right outside the business you can meet with these people any time or day that they want to meet with you but you don't get to go in and disrupt somebody's business for you know literally uh four months anyway that's that's something that uh you know here's here's i, I think a saying so we have a a, a court decision I very much don't like and a court decision uh, that I do like. But in both cases, you have a California legislature legislating in a way to try to push unionization and basically legislating on behalf of the public employees and some of the private employees like SEIU, uh, which is also public, but but those uh, interests and and you have collisions in court because people are saying, you're taking my livelihood away. I guess we should warn our audience that uh, one of the reasons there's going to be some digital artifacts in this episode of This Week in Common Sense is that you're not in a high bandwidth area right now. You're on the road. Yes. And so we probably want to cut short talking about the three other pieces for this week just simply to make it easier on everybody's ears. Uh, you're coming through pretty well in my uh, headphones. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but uh, there are some, there are gonna be some artifacts that I won't be able to handle at all. They'll just be in the product. Well, let's mention that on Friday, we congratulate and cheer uh, the 30th uh, year of 
the Institute for Justice, uh, libertarian-oriented law, kind of public interest law firm, not kind of public interest law firm, that is just great and has done all kinds of things on eminent domain abuse, uh, on civil asset forfeiture, uh, and on all kinds of other, the drug war and, and, you know, just seem to constantly be winning cases where real people's lives are being turned upside down. They were influential in Second Amendment rulings as well, right? That, that is true. That is true. No, they've, they've done a lot of great stuff. And, uh, and it's, you know, the courts tend to be the most functional. I mean, ultimately, we've got to get the legislative branch to be functional uh, in terms of protecting the people from government overreach and, and stopping it. Um, but the courts are much more functional on a, on a regular basis than the legislature. So, and, and getting into court as expensive and difficult as it is, is easier than getting into the legislature or getting into the Congress or getting into the deep state deep enough. On Monday, you had ingested invective rejected. We're talking here about ivermectin and that's, but it was quite a story this week. Uh, it was all over the place. Uh, yes, and 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 here I think uh, you know we we quote from Glenn Greenwald who has kind of been the the scold of the of the left, kind of telling the left how ridiculous they're getting, but um, but people may have heard different things. I think I think there are still large pockets of America where this is still you know horse dewormer, and uh, which it will apparently do a good job of that too. Um, but and and I'm not I'm not I'm not a doctor. I haven't ever <laughs> prescribed it for anybody. But we, you know, this story just shows how major, not minor, major news operations are clueless and running with a narrative that turns out doesn't have any facts behind it in this particular case. And yet they have they have, I mean, they're they're. There's a lot of naked people out there in media land these days. In this case, ivermectin, you mentioned Joe Rogan and Alex Jones in the first paragraph. That was the funniest part of the whole thing. And I mean, because Alex Jones is always a hoot in his peculiar way. But Joe Rogan, you know, got COVID and then got his doctors to give him quite a series of cocktails of, uh, you know, alternative medicine. It wasn't a shot of Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. This is actual medicines, including ivermectin. And uh, he recovered almost immediately. It's amusing how many people uh, castigated Joe Rogan for taking this, you know, experimental medication and didn't recognize and didn't acknowledge that he recovered immediately. <laughs> but, of course, he's also a very healthy person. So that's a, that's a different thing. Um so it's an interesting subject for me because there's a lot of places, most places in America, uh, doctors aren't even are not encouraged to take ivermectin or hydrochloroquine or any of the other treatments. Uh, they are instructed to, to give remdesivir. And that's a very controversial drug and there's very little talk about it. But uh, it's kind of a weird thing when the popular culture I mean, just prohibits. I mean, the popular culture comes down hard against some drugs and comes either 
you know, just gives a green light for some drugs or actually promotes other drugs. Uh, and I find that weird because why, I mean, you just said that you're not a doctor. Well, there's a lot of people out there who are pretending they're doctors and pretending that they can prescribe for other people. And that's odd. Well, it, it seems that the, the media, oftentimes when you hear scientists, now sometimes scientists speak like they're not scientists, uh, especially, you know, it seems like the more political their job is, the more they seem like politicians instead of scientists. But um, uh, oftentimes when a doctor talks, uh, even when Fauci a lot of times talks, there are words in there that soften the, you know, well, we probably should do this or the, that that then get turned, I think, oftentimes by the media into Fauci says the public must do this. And and, you know, look, the CDC decided they they'd stop anybody from evicting anybody. I mean, they've they've thrown their political weight around where it, it, it they don't have any power, but uh, any authority. But but in essence, I think we also have the problem that we have a lot of talking heads on, on TV and we have a media operation that has has kind of wanted to scare people maybe more than was was justified uh, a lot more and and has created kind of a, a panic. And and, you know, people can look at it and say, well, it's all about masks or it's all about whether you're vaccinated or not. And those are touch points, obviously. But the whole tone of this pandemic has it has not been respectful of people. It has, and I mean from the president on down, it has rarely been respectful of the public. It it hasn't been, here's your information, and and here's what we suggest, and here's it's all been about mandates and who's, you know, and and you know, we have we have the star of the who won an enemy enemy, who won an Emmy, uh, uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, is terrible <laughs> as the you know who is is in essence thrown out of office because of his his uh, you know sexual abuse of one kind or another that's alleged, and but also was horrible on on COVID and you know had policies that sent COVID positive people into nursing homes. I mean, he he did not do a good job. Well, it's right here that Zoom completely failed. And I told Paul about this and he was sanguine. I think we're kind of there probably. We should mention uh, where we are now, which is about finished uh, with the podcast, but that was what Wednesday's commentary. And it was about two stories and, and go read it for yourself. But uh, the first story is is where they don't give us all the facts and try to pretend what turns out to be kind of a false narrative uh, without the kind of. And, uh, and then the second is, well, ridiculous, completely ridiculous, but official policy at a learned institution. And uh, so go take a look at that at thisiscommonsense.org. And Tim... Uh, Boy, you can't always get the best uh, spot for internet, but we we uh, we gave it our our college try. I think it'll work out okay. Thank you for joining us for this week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, 
and I'm here to help Paul go through these podcasts every week, and I'm here to help you do more at thisiscommonsense.org. You can subscribe to Common Sense with Paul Jacob, his daily column, and get it in your email in basket. Of course, you can find us at thisiscommonsense.org, and you can find Paul and Common Sense with Paul Jacob on Facebook. Plenty of ways to communicate with us. Please like, subscribe, give us good reviews, do all the things that help podcasts do their podcast stuff. And I am going to sign out now because I have nothing else to say. Thank you very much.